Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Uh, today, I have an EDM DJ in the house, a pretty interesting background. We'll get to talk about that. And we're just talking before I started recording, and I understand that you're in Miami, Florida? Yes, I am. I am. I've always wanted to be there. I haven't gone there yet. And I was just looking online at the Bitcoin conference that happened last week. Apparently it was a little crazy over there in Miami, but uh, it seems to be pretty lax over there. And just, you know, people just out there having fun, even despite COVID. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, with uh, with quarantine kind of not being a thing anymore, slowly going away or phasing out, um, you know, there's definitely a lot more people coming, uh, a lot more tourism happening. And like you were saying with Bitcoin, uh, it was pretty just wild seeing how active the city became after like months and months of lockdown. Right, right, right. Well, anyway, it's all good though. Maybe one day I'll, I'll definitely make it out there. Uh, but welcome to the podcast, Jaden Carr. Yeah, thank you for having me. Most definitely. And, and Jaden is, is a man of many talents. Uh, his parents were athletes. Uh, he, pay, he played uh, basketball briefly in high school or college or both. Uh, mainly just uh, just high school, yeah. And I mean, I, I had the opportunity to play in college, but uh, I decided to go with a different approach, which we'll, we'll talk about later for sure. Right, right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, and to give us a little context, I mean, I'm sure you're tired about hearing this every single time. Um, <laughs> but Javen's mother was actually a national gymnast and his father actually played in the NBA. So your father was a big dog, Antoine Carr. Uh, played for yes. the Utah Jazz, first overall or first round draft pick, I think in the 80s, uh, played alongside yeah. Carl Malone uh, in those finals games against Michael Jordan in like 98 or something like that. But tell me how it was for you, like growing up as a kid where you have, you know, two parents who are into sports, like what was that like for you growing up? Um, It was very interesting. Uh, there was always a lot of, uh, I, I don't want to say pressure, but there was, there was a lot of influence on me playing uh, sports I guess you could say uh, especially basketball definitely uh, it was like it was like you have the height for it so definitely definitely play and you have the size um, people used to refer to me as like baby shack because I was just I was just a giant kid but um, yeah so growing up uh, sports was always a, a big part of my life and I feel like even to this day it, it taught me a lot of my foundation and, and kind of my work ethic as well and what were some of the earliest uh, memories you remember did you ever follow your dad to the games like what was your mom's influence uh, at that particular age like what team can you remember the most out of all the teams your dad played for oh man um, I, I didn't really go to many of his games just because at that age I was just so I was so young um, usually my mom would take me to like the locker room and we would just uh, she would watch the game from there um i i was i was born in 97 so the the jazz and the bulls played in 97 and 98 so i was like basically a couple months old maybe one so i don't really remember too much but uh i i do have a, a memory of my mom telling me that basically after the finals game it's it's the reason why she's claustrophobic now which i i kind of had the same problem uh which was they were trying to leave the stadium uh and basically fans were just walking up to the cars and shaking them back and forth because i mean at, at that time that was uh that was like the first time that utah had been in the championship so uh yeah it was just it was a big deal to them and you know they they want to 
I guess, give the players all their support. Yeah, and that was a pretty interesting time. Like, I, I lived in Nigeria at the time. I was growing up in Nigeria, and, like, we, we always had, like, everyone, when you wanted to cut your hair, like, you, had, you either cut your hair to a Tyson, that was Mike Tyson, or Jordan, <laughs> or yeah. Mike Jordan. So yeah. Give me one of the mics. That's why you always tell your barber. So, like, Michael Jordan obviously did so much for the sport, and even though we didn't get the games live, just years later, like, watching that game and watching, like, you know, your dad there, you know, playing against him and I think they actually won like a couple of games like game five or something even though the Bulls actually like took the title but that was pretty interesting but growing up yeah, under definitely. such a massive figure like big dog Antoine Carr like when you see like uh, Steph Curry's dad or you know LaMelo Ball's dad like all these fathers who were athletes or you know basketball players they groomed their sons or you know Ben Simmons dad to be like NBA players always taking them out there to the court like reminds me of that movie like he got game in the early 2000s with Denzel yeah. Washington, right? Like always like hounding no, your sons, like, oh, you know, you, you're going to go to the <laughs> NBA, like drilling you, that kind of thing, whether or not you're interested in sports. But would you say, how close was your experience to that? Uh, you know, pretty dead on, I would say. Uh, you know, my, my dad was also had the pleasure of being uh, my coach. So it was always like I was getting it maybe 24-7. Uh, if it wasn't on the court, it was at the dinner table. And, you know, oh, here's what I think you could do better. And you got to be elite. You know, you you got to be that elite athlete. And, you know, he he instilled that in me. And, um, you know, to an extent, I, I will say that, you know, that work ethic does definitely stay with me. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy that at a young age, I was definitely taught that. Right. I mean, there's something my mom always says, right? She was like, when you're a parent, like you might understand, like there's this, like I watched a video on Twitter, like just before we got on the interview and this guy, he was riding a bike with his daughter. His, his daughter was on her own little bike. She must have been like four or five. Like he was riding his big bike and they were riding down the hill and she was just like pedaling fast down the hill and you know <laughs> as a parent like he wanted his daughter he was filming wanted his daughter to like enjoy herself but at the same time was like well, slow down like you know and you know no, parents were just commenting on the thing like it went viral but you know you, you want the best for your child from what I'm starting to understand as I get older even though you know that might not necessarily be your child's interest but you know it just goes to show it's like a catch-22 but what did that whole experience kind of like teach you because obviously eventually you didn't end up playing basketball even though you uh, played a little in high school but what did that end up teaching you and how would you translate that uh, to your kid when you have kids well I'm not sure if you have kids yet yeah no no I, I don't have any kids uh, yet but um, what it did instill in me was definitely working with others um, I've always been kind of like a, a lone wolf I guess you could say or I was always by myself I was kind of just like uh, I, I enjoyed kind of just like watching from the outside just because like I, I would like to learn things and um, it it definitely taught me to socialize and talk to people because, you know, when you're out there on the court, um, you, you really want to communicate with your teammates because if you're not talking, you know, that then everyone suffers in the end, because uh, I'll, I'll give an example, like a pick and roll. Uh, if you know, uh, your, your opponent's about to set a pick on your teammate, you know, you want to tell them that that's going to happen because if, if they just charge into that opponent, you know, and get a concussion, you know, that's on you, that's on your conscience. So, you know, it, it's, it's, always about communication and teamwork definitely okay so you, you tried basketball a little bit in high school how tall were you in in high school yeah so i was about uh six eight wow six, nine yeah around there in so I was, high I was, school yeah yeah and you know the funny thing is uh i also had i want to say the the biggest foot in the in the city i was a size 18 foot so you can imagine trying to find shoes was always fun for me but yeah. what state do you play in 
Uh, I played in in Texas, so in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. And yeah. what was like? Something happened when you turned eighteen, right? That made you like change and and say, you know what? I don't think like sports is for me. Like at age eighteen, obviously you were still in high school, or maybe were you maybe in college? Like, what was that event? Like, what happened and what made you switch to what you're doing now? Yeah, man. So uh, what what essentially happened was. Uh, when I was playing basketball, I, I got a rough injury. I broke my foot. And because of that, a lot of college coaches just kind of started becoming not interested. So I had this comeback season uh, for senior year where, like, you know, I was trying to prove myself and prove that I was healthy. And at some point, it was just I was not happy anymore um, because I, I felt like I was playing the sport for everyone but myself. Um, and it got to the point where uh, there was a Air Force Academy um, recruit uh, that came to see me. Uh, they were based out of Colorado. And I purposely did bad uh, when he came to to see me play just because wow. I just was like, I don't, I don't want to play. And, you know, I don't even want to play at the next level. So of course, you know, parents weren't too, too pleased with that. But uh, what ended up happening was, um, you know, I kind of had a little bit of a wake up call. Um, luckily, I uh, later that evening after everything happened, I got to see my grandparents. And, you know, this was like maybe two or three days before my birthday. Um, they were like, hey, what's something that we can do to, uh, to cheer you up and make you happy? And, you know, I, I'd always been into like nerdy stuff. So especially like electronic music. So I told them, I was like, hey, there's there's this festival in Miami that I've always wanted to go to uh, called Ultra. And, you know, I've been watching it for like the last four years, and uh, that's something I really wanna wanna make happen. And their their first reaction was, no, that's not happening. Uh, you <laughs> you know? were seventeen. So right? that was like, yeah, yeah, I was seventeen, about to turn eighteen, so I was just right. barely legal for the festival. But um, you know, my my grandmother like was like, all right, well, if this is what you really want, let me see what I can do. And you know, forty eight hours later, I was going to uh, Miami for a music festival with one of my best friends. So yeah, that, that's what kind of like was that life-changing uh, moment for me, yeah. Man, I can see that right now. Like your your grandmother, you know, I got to meet her when she came to Colorado and she was the one that introduced me to you. Like with, within like the first five mini- minutes of meeting, she was like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, she was just like all over her grandson. Like just talking about <laughs> you. Like, oh, you know, he's a DJ. This is what he does. <laughs> like, oh, like, I told her I have a podcast. She was like, no, you should follow him. This is his Instagram. She was like, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, like, wow, grandma uh, is like a saleswoman out here, <laughs> you know, but man, she seems like really warm yeah, and, uh, and someone who you could probably confide in, you know, when you were much younger. Uh, what was kind of like your relationship with uh, your grandparents growing up? Yeah, so um, they kind of they kind of were uh, basically that father figure for me because my dad was kind of like in and out of my life. You know, he was always um, he always had work to do, and you know, I totally understand that. Growing up now, you know, you gotta gotta support yourself, support um, you know your family, and uh, so they kind of my my grandma, my grandfather kind of stepped in that role, and especially my stepdad because you know um, you know that that was like a huge void to fill, especially for me, and you know uh, I, I've come to like realize now like you know it does take a village to raise a child as the saying goes so yeah i, I luckily you know had them to be there for me have have uh, you you and your dad ever sat down to like chop it up all these years later to like hey man like you know this is what it was you know that kind of thing oh he's uh, still you know, old like, school with it you know like he 
he always, uh, he still every now and then wishes I played. And, um, you know, there's like maybe two years into my college career. He was like, Hey, you know, like if you still want to transfer and play, you know, you can still come play for me. And I was like, Hey, listen, man, I'm about halfway through college. So, you know, like, let me, let me finish it out. But you know, like, uh, we, last time we did talk, you know, we, we, we talked about it and, you know, we kind of, um, had a brief heart to heart about it. And, you know, like I, initially I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why I was going through what I was going through, but you know, now now I kind of just realized, you know, all these years later, it just made me stronger. Yeah. And different strokes for different folks, right? Like not everyone is lucky yeah. or privileged enough to eventually follow, you know, their, their, their dreams or get to do what they're passionate about. Like, I mean, the, the world is filled with people who are in like miserable jobs, like miserable jobs. Of like course. people ask me like, why have I been able to sustain the podcast for so long for two years plus? I'm like, because I enjoy doing it. Like even when I'm not earning money or like yeah. barely anything, like I just enjoy doing it, you know? And it helps no, when you're in a miserable job to kind of, kind of like have a hobby or something, you know, on the side. Yeah. So before oh, you, w- would you say like the music thing? I mean, you said you were watching Ultra four years before 17, but would you say like from a kid, like what were some of your other hobbies like besides sports when you were in playing sports, like growing up in Texas, what were you doing? <laughs> Uh, so this is going to sound like every kid out there, but you know, I was, I was playing video games a lot. Um, like especially the halos, the call of duties and, uh, the Skyrim. But, um, there was like my, my grandfather actually, when I was really young, he, he was the one that kind of got me into video games and, you know, growing up, like, wait, I wait, 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 did you say this... your grandfather got you yeah. into video games? Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, our first video game together was, uh, the legend of Zelda Ocarina of time, which was like just a timeless game from Nintendo. Uh, and you know, even, even to this day, I still listen to like the soundtrack cause the, the score in it is just phenomenal. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, back then it was really tough for me cause my, my dad actually played for the San Antonio Spurs. So me being in San Antonio, there was a lot of pressure, like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta, you know, follow in your dad's footsteps and video games were kind of that escape for me. So, right. that, so when and, you walk you know, out in the street and, and people like harass you and stuff like, Oh, that's Antoine, Antoine Carr's boy kind of thing. Oh yeah, no everyone everyone would know like as soon as i walk into the gym or if i'm just walking around like you know the school they just be like oh yeah that his dad played in the nba and it would just kind of be like man like i i don't want to be in the spotlight like kind of just you know leave me be (laughs) yeah yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a different kind of pressure, you know, kind of like growing up in that shadow. Okay, you were 17, you ended up going to Ultra, you turned 18. Um, you hear a lot about these EDM festivals, and I think Ultra is like one of the biggest out there. We're like Tomorrowland and all these. Definitely in the US, Ultra is pretty much the biggest EDM festival. Like, I haven't been to an EDM festival, but walk me through the feeling like it was i just interviewed someone who you know has been going to burning man for a decade and he told me about the first time he went to burning man what that feeling was like what was it for you the first time at ultra how did that feel it was just very wholesome I'll say like, you know, the, it, it was really weird to me. Cause I just remember walking out of the, the hotel and like just hearing and feeling that bass in my chest. And, you know, it's like a really cool feeling to, to feel that, uh, in your core. And, you know, I remember like walking through the gates with, with my friend, uh, his name was Tanner and, you know, Tanner and I just like looked at each other and we we're like, dude, like this, this is it. And, you know, from that moment, that's kind of when I realized like, Hey, this is what I want to do. Right. Right. And everyone has performed at ultra, right. From Skrillex to what Steve Aoki I think Avicii and a couple of other people performed the ultra like who did you see up there on that stage that made you want to go into DJing 
Yeah, so uh, there, there's two groups. There's Afrojack. Uh, he was like a really tall dude. And like, I kind of identified that because I was like, hey, he's tall too and he's not playing basketball. So I can do that. Uh, but yeah, and then there was Axel and Grosso and that that show just like blew me away. Um, they, they used to be uh, in this group called Swedish House Mafia, um, which might Wait, be Swedish a, a House little Mafia bit broke up? Yeah, they, so they broke up in 2013 and then they got back together like four years later. But uh, I was there for the show that they were, it was like just two of them. And that was the show that like changed me forever. Well, I mean, I'm just a casual like EDM person, right? So I know the big, I mean, I'm Nigerian. So if you're a Nigerian, you know, everyone knows Avicii because of FIFA. Like his song was used, the Knights was used in the FIFA soundtrack. And we love soccer where I come from. So anytime we're booting up the game, like Avicii is coming on. So everyone loves Avicii. Like everyone (laughs) loves Swedish House Mafia because of the song they did. Uh, Don't you worry, child something like i'm a casual listener so i know yeah, kind of like yeah. the big names but explain to some of the other casual listeners like if you ask me to explain hip-hop i might you know tell you about oh, the five elements of hip-hop why the the, the bronx or brooklyn is like important to hip-hop why the south is running things now the role of producers in the nas era like how can you break things down in like two or three minutes about how edm is structured why are there always team djs like multiple djs um why is festival culture so important and why don't DJs like using their face on their album covers for Christ's sake? Like everyone is kind of like using this yeah. weird mystical kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, initially, with uh, with the whole culture with EDM, it's just there's there's so many different subgenres of EDM. There's something there's something for everyone. You know, if you're more into hip hop, you know, there's trap. If you're more into kind of soft, uh, more melodic music, there's trance. You know, if you just want like you're lifting weights and you want to go hard then you know of course there's dubstep but um in in terms of why you know a lot of people don't put their face on their album colors or album cover rather is because they want to tell a story and i think a face can't really convey that story so much it's more about like you want to feel like you're in this world and that's that's something i really like to put into my music like i like to kind of do this element of storytelling or give you an experience because like glitchy four isn't really a person it's more of like an experience that you feel or like C or, you know, and, and that's, that's why I feel like those album covers kind of convey what the music is saying. You know, that makes a lot of sense. That makes sense. not just the album covers, like the videos, like everything is yeah. like, hey, pay attention to the music and not necessarily the brand of the DJ, which is crazy because the EDM DJs end up making tons of money. Like it's always like they're constantly yeah, working because there is an EDM festival somewhere in the world. Like Steve Aoki is always like on a private jet, like every other. And yeah. he's not even like he's up there, but he's not like up there, up there. But like I just imagine like that'll be a pretty interesting gig like how do you see it for yourself i know you have like your virtual shows um but what do you see for yourself in this industry as an edm dj do you want to conquer the festival scene do you want to like bring a different spin on the branding do you want to cultivate a new breed of fans or you want to do all of those at once I kind of want to do a combination of that, but there there really is no like set goal in terms of like playing festivals or or selling out venues. Uh, really, my ultimate goal right now is pretty simple, which is just make music that can be in a video game, which is is pretty simple. But it, it's kind of like it reminds me of when I was a kid. Like I said, you know, where you tra- get transported into that world and you kind of escape that reality. Which that's kind of my goal, which is like conveying in that in that game, like, hey, you're in a different place now. Uh, this is 
is like the journey you're going through. So that that's the ultimate goal. And, you know, eventually if I do get to shows, if I do get to festivals, you know, that's going to be great. And, you know, I have played shows before I I've done like real life shows. I've done virtual reality shows and, you know, both of which are, are just exhilarating and really fun to play. Spoken like a true EDM artist, like very selfless, <laughs> very <laughs> anti-capitalist <laughs> for the most part and all that other good stuff. Hey, I'm sure you can get like some of your tracks into an M a 2K, like an NBA 2K game or something. Like if you work that yeah. angle or are you just trying to build your own legacy kind of thing? Uh, Really, I'm just kind of trying to like, you know, uh, there, there's an artist I like to follow his, uh, his artist name is seven lions. And what he kind of does is like with his music and everything about his brand is he kind of like builds a world, like builds a, a lore behind it or a story, if you will. And that that's kind of the same message I'm trying to convey eventually, you know, I, I want to get into this world where like, you know, I'm telling a story, um, where it's like, we're, we're in some sci-fi place, you know, cause I, me being, uh, I, I was a computer science major i was a, a data analyst and you know not, now i'm a data analyst and I, I got my master's in that so i'm i'm very much in the software realm so i kind of like tech sci-fi stuff so nice i i like to kind of tell a story that's kind of in the realm of that for sure nice 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 what, what, what other genres do you think mesh well with edm like i know, I know a lot of hip-hop artists have experimented with edm you know you always have uh, calvin harris you know going out there and experiment with other genres is that something you would consider and what genres have piqued your interest uh, outside the edm community yeah um so that's very interesting that you asked that uh there's there's two genres i'm into that like you, most people would never expect which is uh rock i i really like rock there's uh there's a group called bring me the horizon which like i think they're just really sick and an orchestra and film score i think wow. both of those are just yeah like totally out there left field but yeah both of which are just really cool to me and those are those are um fields i definitely like to touch into and i i feel like even now you can hear some of that influence in my music that's pretty interesting orchestra who would have thought huh, that would yeah, be right? pretty interesting <laughs> to have like an edm so when you say edm and orchestra would you like to perform with an orchestra or you like to make all a kind of music or both so it's kind of like you you mesh in orchestral elements so like the the big tuba horns or like the the subtle violins and stuff yeah yeah and you know like it it's just I feel like orchestra is so cool because like when you when you watch movies like uh, I was watching The Dark Knight the other night which was like a really good movie and the film score for that is just like insane and so heavy and powerful and I feel like you know if if you know that can be done in orchestra you know somehow that can be translated to edm you know what i i see it now that you talk about it like from my layman's perspective i'm thinking about vanessa carlton like, dun, 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 or something yeah. <laughs> something yeah. like that so i see it and you're currently part of a, a a dj crew i guess i can call it that forgive me edm users if you're listening to this i don't know the terminology uh called the uh, beat syndicate yeah um, so yeah, Beat Syndicate is essentially we were this digital group that um, we worked with uh, the the Wave VR, which now they're just called the Wave. Which uh, during COVID it it went absolutely crazy. Which it was basically a virtual reality music experience. So you take uh, a virtual reality headset and you basically get transferred into this uh, uh, music festival world, which is crazy. And you know. Uh, we in the Beat Syndicate, we would build our own worlds. So we kind of like tell our own stories. Uh, some people would 
just want to be on a beach. So they, they'd construct a DJ stage on a beach and some people would build like music festival stages and other people would be in the jungle, which was just, it was just a really cool. So uh, is it kind of cool. like one of those games like Fortnite, like everyone is like in the same virtual environment, but you're just enjoying the music? Yeah, yeah, very similar to that. And you know, if you want to bring your friends, you know, you can you can basically go into a virtual club if you want to. But um, the, I think the big difference is just like, you actually feel like you're there, I guess, even with the headset. You know, because I, I feel like, you know, initially when virtual reality came out, I was a bit skeptical and kind of weird uh, and uh, almost taboo, if you will. Um, but yeah, now now when you put it on, like sometimes, you know, I'll, I won't forget that I'm in there, but like, I just feel like I'm not in reality right now, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a good escape. It's like the Matrix. I mean, I was watching one of them on YouTube and I didn't even have my virtual, I didn't even have virtual reality uh, goggles on, but it was still immersive like i was trying to play it as like background music as i was doing something else but i couldn't concentrate on that other thing yeah. i was doing because it was just so i don't know how you guys do it it's kind of like i think there's some tricks to the trade let's talk about that like you know when uh directors of horror movies do the scoring for the horror movies they add some some sounds that kind of like churn your belly and like make you feel afraid like what are the tricks of the trade for edm like while you're building up the beats and everything it's just like you're constructing euphoria in a way like how yeah so, yeah, so it's it's all about that experience and imagine it like a roller coaster, you know, you kind of don't want to be going up the whole time building momentum. And at the same time, you kind of don't want to be coming down the entire time just because it, it's like there's there's no climax then. There's no like uh, exciting moment. So essentially like it, it's kind of just about going with that roller coaster effect with like lots of ups and downs and lots of like, oh, that was crazy moments and lots of, oh, you know, this is very melodic and cool. Let me just vibe out and kind of chill. Nice, nice, nice. I guess the fans also contribute to that, right? Like, the, it seems to me like the fans of EDM, like, they love the story and they are very patient to to learn and stick to one DJ over a lifetime. Like, I'm Nigerian, <laughs> right? Like, we, we play Afrobeats, and if, if, you, if you take so much time on the intro, your song is going to get skipped, you know? Oh, of course, of course, of course, definitely. And, you know, I, I think that's when it's like, you have to find the right combination, and that's not something that just happens overnight, you know? Uh, I mean, even to this point, I've been doing this uh, five six years now and i'm still learning like and i, I feel like this is one of those genres slash fields where it's like even to the point where i get older and i can't do this anymore i'm still going to be learning and what would you say is the most important part of being an edm dj please don't say the music let's say besides the music that would you say the equipment um the branding the the practice sessions uh you know the technology behind it like the lights and all that like the prop like what would you say is the most important part besides the music yeah the well it, it kind of ties into music but it's mainly just creating your own sound and writing your own stuff because you know you you can't sit up there and the entire time just dj other people's music at some point you have to incorporate yourself and i feel like that's that's when I want to say, like, if if you're just getting into this, you really want to focus on the production of music. So, like, I have my little setup here, and it, it's not great, but it, you know, it's something. Um, and I really wish I had known before I got into this field, like, hey, you should probably learn how to write this stuff first, as opposed to just DJing it, because anyone can DJ it. But in terms of producing it and coming up with just crazy sounds and and you know, taking influences and transforming them, not everyone can do that. You mentioned writing your 
their own stuff. Do EDM artists write their own music? That's interesting because I always saw them as like taking other people's and like remixing it, putting some beats on top of it, that kind of thing. Yeah, so so there's there's some genres where there's like an emphasis on the artist actually writing. So like for me, for example, like I actually I do write a lot of my own stuff. So like I have like a little piano here that I play, and then uh, with that, there's like different uh, synthesizers and different audio banks that I can use. So a lot of that stuff is really just me writing the music. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so when you say writing, you don't mean like writing like uh, what they call it, like musical scoring with all the music, uh, the basses and the trebles and all that. It's more like no, kind of no. like playing and getting a sense of how you want to arrange the music kind of thing. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of similar to like hip-hop producers, like how they'll have like FL Studio. I don't know if you know what that is. I but, do know um, Fruity Loops. Yeah. I was a producer back in my day. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's basically just producing just with more, I guess, beep boop sounds if you will but yeah yeah okay that makes sense and and how does like when you're playing in a group like Swedish House Mafia those are three people like how does that work at an EDM performance like you like someone starts playing and someone interjects or someone stops or takes over like how how is that or someone's focusing on the strings while someone is doing the bass like how, how does that work exactly yeah so so it really depends on the kind of performance I mean if if it's just DJing you know usually it's like hey I got the first 10 minutes then you go on then you do 10 minutes and then will like keep doing that and like back and forth whereas like if it's like a live performance with like actual instruments um i think it's kind of like a band in that sense uh i've never really done anything crazy like that i've just i've mainly just dj'd and, and played the drums at one of my performance but that's pretty much it got it got it and i mean the world is full of stereotypes right that's not necessarily a good thing but each uh everyone has their stereotype music has a stereotype hip-hop has a stereotype reggae has a stereotype and the stereotype for edm like from an outsider's perspective might be hey you know it's just a whole bunch of young people you know mostly caucasian who go to these festivals and like get high on drugs kind of thing like what's one crazy experience you'd say or unexpected experience would you say you experienced like at a festival and how much of that have you have you seen while while participating in these festivals over the years yeah so um it actually all goes back to that to that first music festival at ultra when i was 18 um uh, there was, I was just enjoying the music and there was someone next to me, um, you know, and we were just dancing. We were just enjoying ourselves. And then all of a sudden she just starts throwing up a bunch of pills and stuff. And it kind of like gave me a, like a, a, a reality check, like, Hey, don't do that. But it, it ended with me just putting the person over my shoulder and taking them to the first aid tent. And uh, I, the paramedics asking me like, Hey, do you know this person? I'm like, no, she just like, she just passed out next to me. And, you know, I, I just want to make sure like, you know, she was taking care of because like literally no one around her was helping her and I was like well so someone has to do it you know but yeah that's you know that's that's been my experience with it and you know I kind of see that as a blessing because like I saw that and I instantly learned like don't do that crazy stuff <laughs> you know the, the most I'll do is like you know socially have a beer and that's that's pretty much it oh okay that makes sense uh, well what are some of your other interests uh, besides EDM I know you mentioned video games how far do you take that do you like are you part of a team a video game team as well do you participate in some of these other competitions how's that like yeah so uh believe it or not the reason why i got my master's degree was because i joined an esports team uh at my university they were like hey we heard you play wait, video wait, wait, games. you got a scholarship yeah yeah i got wow. a scholarship to play video games basically and what uh, university was, was this st thomas university in uh in miami nice yeah and it, it was just crazy they 
they were because I I didn't even know that we had an esports team. I guess you would call it, but uh, they were like, yeah, well. Uh, if you want to play for us, because we don't have that many players, we'll give you a scholarship for uh, that. That'll cover like a little bit of your tuition. I was like, definitely, yeah, let's do this. And um, you know, although we didn't, we didn't play in many tournaments. It was still a really fun experience. And you know, I, I got to say that I played video games professionally, which is kind of funny and weird. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, gr growing up, I remember when the first time I heard about what a game tester was. So I was in GS2, which is kind of like I don't know what grade it is in the U.S. Second grade, maybe. Uh, and someone said he wants to be a game tester my friend Barra Yakes uh, he wanted to be a game tester I'm like what's a game tester I'm like oh you know when Sony makes the games for the PlayStation 1 like these people come in and like they test the games and like they pay them for it like it just blows my mind to see like you know 20 years later like there are people actually getting scholarships and you know getting paid being on esports teams and even like NBA franchises and LNFL franchises have like esports division and you know the esports league is like kind of like growing we, we might see the micro Jordan of esports so who knows you might you know come back to your dad and say hey you know I, I eventually get go to the NBA but this is my this is my flex right here <laughs> yeah yeah no of course the the running joke is that I eventually did become a college athlete because it's called esports but uh yeah you know obviously I didn't I didn't go that route but you know I I see the field of um you know video games especially professional video games growing because I mean you look at like last year or the year before that when Fortnite was like the big game they had tournaments and some kids I think it was like 14 or 16, somewhere between there. And he won $6 million, which yep, is like I heard just about wild, that. wild to think about then, you know, um, it's kind of funny. Cause when I was younger, like sitting around the house and playing video games was like, like, don't do that. Like go outside, go do something. And now it's like some, some of these kids are actually being trained to play these games, which is hilarious to me. Right. Right. And, and you, you kind of like have the perfect set of experiences. Like you're a computer science major, you have a master's, you, you grew up you like you play edm you play video games it's like you're off the culture and within the culture like when you look at what's going on in the creative space nowadays you hear about nfts you hear about all these things like what do you think is going to be that one technology in music say in the next 20 years either how it's consumed how it's stored how it's distributed like what's one thing you think will be very very prevalent in 20 years time in the music space you know it, it's really hard to say because i mean like this this is where like my realm of uh, I create basically AIs for, for a living. So I'll create like artificial intelligence. So like, I'll ask them to do the predicting for me. And that's definitely like, you know, the future for, for music. But um, I, I like to think that the whole virtual reality worlds, I think is going to be the future for us, especially if we, I, I, you know, knock on wood that we don't go through this again, but like another COVID situation, because, you know, when that, when that happened, I believe um, Facebook who basically owns Oculus, which is one of the, the leading uh, virtual reality companies, their Oculus 2 was selling off the shelves and was the number one selling uh, virtual reality headset. So I definitely think as technology progresses, uh, we'll definitely see a lot more of a transition towards like virtual things. Like, I mean, we're already seeing it with NFTs and, you know, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, et cetera. So I, I think eventually it's just going to start trans transferring virtually. I mean, virtually uh, virtually can mean many things, right? Like virtual experience in particular, we, we saw a Tupac hologram like three, four years yeah. ago. Uh, form and it'll be interesting to see that world um, even though COVID kind of like ramped up the virtual environment and people got used to vir virtual people also missed the human interaction it would seem like nowadays yeah. like when I go out for my evening walks or jog like more people tend to say 
say hi and want to strike up a conversation because they've been in the house for so long, you know, things like that. But it'll be interesting to see that mix, like how we, how would, you know, just human interaction be kind of like in the future. Maybe it'll be like one of these movies where, where we'll have like a chip in our brain or whatever. But uh, yeah. And, you know, if it, if it does get that far, like hopefully it doesn't. But I, you know, I, I think, I think the overall lesson that we've been learning as humanity is like, you know, let's work with technology and let's not fear it so much. But, you know, there are situations, especially with artificial intelligence, where it kind of needs to be monitored. Um, so, like, I, I think it's something that, like, you know, we should learn to grow with, but we don't want it to consume us consume much, right like elon Musk says it all the time that we need to be afraid of artificial intelligence i mean i have a podcast and there's this freaking ai called gpt3 that has his own podcast i'm like what the fuck like you don't even yeah. need <laughs> to, to have a mic or anything like an ai has a podcast i like how do i compete with that but anyway <laughs> i guess we'll see um so when you say Definitely. ai is like is that kind of like your day job kind of thing or you're tinkering with stuff yeah, so uh, day to day, I, I work with data and I work with AIs. And basically, what the what the long term goal for this project I'm currently working on is is um, basically to have the AI uh, predict the status of a company. Um, so we, company? we want, yeah, like so if if a company's doing good, if a company's doing bad. Um, I, I've done stuff similar to this. Like last year, um, we we developed in an AI that would basically, well, not for the company, but for my master's degree, we developed an AI that would uh, buy and sell stocks based on uh, different levels of, of the stock market going on. So I remember like, I remember the first week I won because I, I put all my shares into Tesla or I told the AI to put all the shares into Tesla. And for whatever reason, Tesla went up that week and then like two or three weeks later, it went down and came crashing and I was negative. And I was like, all right, maybe I shouldn't trust an AI with money. Wait, I think how, that's how long ago was this? Me. This was about a year ago. Oh, okay. So, well, I mean, Tesla shares have been up since a year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that'll yeah, be, no, that'll they, be they pretty interesting. Like in the stock market, like companies might probably need to start, maybe we'll go back to paper or something, not, not too much information. Yeah. Like I read this book called Flash Boys uh, about this guy, Brad Katsuyama. And when the high frequency trading thing was happening in the early 2000s, he was working at the Royal Bank of Canada. And he was saying how these you know, hedge funds were utilizing high frequency trading. And what he did, which was brilliant, was to slow, slow down the information so they don't get it as fast. So he still had an advantage just in fact what oh, happens with computers is just is just mind-blowing but man yeah, talk wild. to me about like the casual someone who is interested so um jaden 17 year old jaden right now thinking about his or her first edm somewhere in the world uh what's one soft landing artist music a festival or creative piece you think that people should go up and listen to and i, I can have the link in the description as well kind of like an introduction to edm that might probably make them fall in love with it yeah it, it really depends on the artist um or like more more so your influences so like i was telling you you know i'm very into like film score movies and uh video games so there's this uh for me there's this group and uh he's one of my buddies i'm actually wearing his hat right now um it's one half of the, the Last Heroes group, his name is Brian, but yeah, this uh, group called Last Heroes, their stuff is absolutely phenomenal and amazing, and they're definitely a huge inspiration of mine. Um, yeah, and I, I definitely think if you listen to their stuff, it, it'll kind of, like, even 
if you're you're just a casual listener, I think you'll have something to take away from it. All right, there we go. Last Heroes. You guys looked that up. And for you in particular, like, um, like what's your stage name? Glitch Euphoria? Like, how do people look for you? How do people find your material? Yeah, yeah. So if you just go online, look up Glitch Euphoria, you'll see um, a couple things on, on um, SoundCloud and Spotify. But right now, it's kind of like I've been in this big hole of trying to write music and kind of feeling like, you know, it's not there. It's not that level it needs to be. And I, I've kind of started to learn, like, the more I work on it, the more I feel like, you know, maybe like maybe it's reaching that point where like I can release it. So I'll definitely have more stuff coming out now. How collaborative is EDM in the writing process, not the performance, but in the writing? You know, hip hop, you have like producers, songwriters, backup singers. Is EDM kind of like a one man show for the most part in producing the music? So it, it really depends on the sound that you're going for. Um, for me and in the genre I work in, which is called melodic dubstep, um, you usually have a singer that you'll you'll send them a demo and they'll send something back and, you know, you'll tell them that you like it or, or uh, what changes need to be happened. But in terms of, uh, you know, if it's like me, a producer and another producer, it's just as simple as like, okay, let me send you the project. You work on it. All right, send it back to me. So it's, it's pretty easy. You know, we don't have to really be in like a studio. Uh, to work together we just send it back and forth and we work on our own machines which is nice all right that makes sense that makes sense well Definitely. this is a cultural podcast so one of my last questions would be what part of the world are you inspired by is there a place where the art that's coming out of that place you love it or the food you love it or a place you've dreamed of visiting kind of thing there, there's a couple. Um, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, of course, like I'd like to visit Dubai. I think that'll be like a really cool uh, place. And, you know, the, the music kind of over there and more towards the Middle East is, is kind of just so cool to me. And they have like different time signatures and stuff, which is cool, cool to hear something different as as far as western culture um and then of course uh, i'm mexican my mom is mexican so i'd really love to visit mexico sometime because i've never i've never been there the closest Dude, i've been that's is not like, that far away yeah i know i know you can probably walk from oh no i'm sorry that's cuba not mexico i was gonna <laughs> say you could, you could yeah cuba's like 90 90 miles away from where i am right now right. but uh that's, that's another one on the bucket list uh so no uh <laughs> um basically like i know Know, I can know enough to like get around and like I, I'll translate it but if you ask me to speak it back that's just not happening got it got but, it uh, okay okay I would like to introduce you to some afro beats and I could probably send you a couple of stuff uh, on Instagram DM but yeah uh, definitely yeah just for people who might be listening to this as well uh, being biased that I'm Nigerian uh, if you want to check out Mr. <laughs> Easy uh, Easy with an I E-A-Z-I Mr. Easy or Burner Boy a pretty big and I think Burner Boy has done something. He's done a project with, um, oh my God, what's the name of this dude always around Kanye? Mm, he has different names. Uh, he has different names. He always like, he's just, anyway, um, you guys know who I'm talking about. He did the, the song with uh, Jadena and the other one. Anyway, um, yeah, but yeah, Burner Boy, I think is pretty cool. Black Coffee gotcha. out of South Africa. Yeah, Black Coffee. I've been I've been hearing his stuff for a while now, and you know, it, it's definitely outside of, of my subgenre of EDM. But like, I I like to grab inspiration from those different subgenres, and Black Coffee is definitely one of them. Yep, yep, yep. And if you get to venture out there, you know, Mexico, Dubai, if you ever head to Africa, let me know if you're ever in West Africa or Nigeria. Uh, hit definitely. me up uh, before you go there. But this has been interesting, you know 
me getting to know a little bit about EDM. That's the purpose of this podcast, right? We all have our biases. We all have, you know, how we see other subcultures from looking from the outside up. But this podcast is just a way to help people learn about other cultures. And that might not necessarily be other regions of the world. It might just be, you know, different ways people do different things. So hopefully uh, we've been able to educate people a little bit by having this casual conversation about EDM. Before I go, um, I like to give my guests a couple of minutes to kind of like put something out there. If you have any last words, um, if you want to plug, you know, your social media, if you want to put something out there, say something to your future self, uh, you kind of like have the floor to do that. Uh, Sure. So I, I guess in terms of like social media and stuff, if, if you just look up Glitch Euphoria, um, you should be able to find me on, I, I think it's all one word um, on Instagram and Twitter and even uh, SoundCloud. I think it's two words, but, and same thing as Spotify, but um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it on my end. Right. Right. And I, I might be like, I'm still fighting with the guys on whether to go to Miami. We've been to Vegas like three times within the last two years <laughs> and they want to go in August. I'm like, dude, can we like go to Miami or go to Hawaii or somewhere? Maybe not Hawaii. That's expensive, but like, oh, yeah. go to Miami or go somewhere else. But, but they still want to go back to Vegas. I don't know what's in the air over there. But yeah, if I'm ever in town, like I'll hit you up. Like it'll be interesting to, to come over and see you perform. Uh, if you're ever no, doing definitely. a show in Colorado or anything as well, like let me know as well. But it's been pretty interesting talking to you. Um, it's Culture Class Podcast on all social media as usual. Uh, we'll have links to uh, Glitch Euphoria, Spotify and SoundCloud. You guys can check out his music and follow us on cultureclasspodcast.com. Let us know what you think about the episode. Until next week, have a good one, guys.